This is El Paisano Media, and you're listening to EPM Network. Wait a minute, wait a minute. Just listen. Hello, and welcome to another episode of Rio Hondo's Pretty Neat Podcast. I'm your host, Brandon Ramirez, and in this episode, we're going to be talking about sci-fi. Yeah, sci-fi. So, full disclosure, this is like my third time trying to start this recording, so I'm sorry if I just sort of breeze past a lot of the stuff in the beginning. Honestly, I even am kind of regretting sitting here explaining this to you guys because I feel in my heart something else is going to interrupt this recording. I just know it. Anyways, (laughs) so (laughs) this week we're going to be talking about sci-fi, science fiction, for those of you who are not too good with uh, short shortening of words. I don't exactly know what you would consider sci-fi, but um, yeah, we're going to be talking about science fiction. Last episode, we talked about fantasy, a lot about traditional, you know, European medieval fantasy, and we touched a little bit on the cowboy mythos. Uh, We're going to kind of continue with that trend, but we're going to push it forward in time into the future, (laughs) essentially, and just kind of touch base on a lot of these ideas that I've had in my head regarding sci-fi and fantasy, the relationship between the two, how they sort of commingle and communicate with one another and build off of one another, and a lot of the shared aspects of these sort of like fictional tellings of what are, I I think, essentially reimagined myths or um, reinterpretations of uh, myths. Uh, You'll see what I say as as we can continue, but just to start off with, I kind of want to touch on something that I think is super easy to explain, but also uh, very in-depth as far as a lot of the subjects we're going to be talking about goes. It's it's a really good example of how in-depth some of these things go. So I wanted to start off by talking about Lovecraftian references and Lovecraftian motifs and really just like cosmic horror and its place in sci-fi as a whole. Uh, So one of the first things that comes to mind when I think cosmic horror and, you know, sci-fi is, and I'm laughing because I'm watching a thing right now. I just have my TV on as I'm recording just to give me something to focus on. And so I'm not just like, I, I don't lean forward and accidentally hit the mic or something. Um, I'm watching uh, Mass Effect gameplay footage. And that's exactly what I wanted to talk about. Because Mass Effect is a really, really good example of Lovecraftian cosmic horror in modern sci-fi. So for those of you who don't know what Mass Effect is, it's a video game series uh, produced by Bioware. It's legendary for being... Uh, one of the top-tier Western role-playing games. And it, it's got a little bit of controversy, which we might touch on as we continue talking about it, but that's the gist of it. It's uh, essentially a video game that's uh, it's an RPG, it's a role-playing game, and you play as Commander Shepard. And the point of the game, not to give away too many spoilers, but I guess like the main uh, gist of it, of the plot of the game, is... There's these giant robot 
squid cuttlefish looking things that are like thousands of times bigger than a human and even more large and you know domineering than the biggest of warships that humans and the other aliens of the mass effect universe have created that are completely sentient so there's there's these giant robot squid cuttlefish things out there in dark space that are completely sentient and every couple thousand years they come down through they come on down to the the galactic backwoods and kill everything basically uh kill any any intelligent life and what that means essentially is like any life that's smart enough to create ai i guess is the easiest way to put it and what i'm saying right now this description i'm giving of them is so bad compared to really what they are so to help paint a picture of the reapers which are what these giant cuttlefish squid things are called I'm going to sit here and paint you a picture of when you first see one. You, Commander Shepard, along with two of your teammates, land on a human colony that's been ravaged and attacked by some unforeseen and indescribable force. This once peaceful and paradise-like establishment uh, and community is now riddled with the bodies of decaying manifestations and shells husks of humans that are intertwined and interwoven with strange biochemical and and uh, mechanical parts that aimlessly attack you and moan in pain as they do so. Beyond that, the strange and alien geth inundate the remains of the mining facilities of the colony. They're crawling with these weird robots that just click and clack and make weird whining noises to communicate with one another. These things don't die because they don't exist on the same plane that we do. They're essentially just programs. What you're killing is the shell, the computer. This is something that's introduced to you early on. It's terrifying to think that something that you meet so early on is essentially immortal. Now, as you fight your way through the colony to try to get to the point of interest, essentially, you're met with the horrifying horns of death that come from the sky. The red and threatening sky is pierced with a massive, domineering and dominating and all-consuming figure that slowly and ever-presently breaks through the clouds and returns to space. This mothership is larger than anything you've ever seen. It's the size of a city, and this thing is alive. And it's eons more intelligent 
than you. And the thing about it is it's one of many. And it's kind. The other reapers have one point in their existence. And that is to continuously, every few thousand, like 50,000 years, it's to continuously kill sentient life, bring it back in reaper form, and go back to dark space to allow the new people, like, you know, the, the primitives, to give them a chance to rise up just for them to come back in the next 50,000 years and do the same thing over again. So, okay. Now, I really hope that did, like, a little bit of a good job at explaining why these things are so, like, scary, but it doesn't stop there. Oh no, it, it gets worse. It gets incredibly worse. So, uh, if you were paying attention to that, like, super dramatic reading that I tried to do there, you may have noticed that I said that the Reapers bring back life that they quote-unquote harvest in human, f I mean, in Reaper form. What does that entail? Well, if they think your species is up to snuff, really, if they think any species is up to snuff to be harvested, they uh, put you in these pods that turn you into a biochemical solution that's uh, pumped into <laughs> a giant robot that's built on the basis of your DNA, and then as far as the fandom and, like, community members can understand, the idea is that the shell of the Reaper is enclosing, like, a smaller Reaper that looks like the basis of the species that was used to create it. Now, that might seem very confusing, and that's kind of the point, because it's cosmic horror. You're not necessarily supposed to be able to understand the machinations of what is literally a deus ex machina. <laughs> but uh, basically, they take uh, humans, for example, uh, turn them into like a weird, gross metal material, and then use that to make a giant reaper fetus that may or may not be enclosed eventually in a much larger reaper form that takes on the form of what a reaper more traditionally looks like. And the thing is, uh, we learned that there originally was only one reaper, and that they've done this cyclical extinction of what they deem worthy um, enough races this cyclical cyclical extinction has happened over and over and over and over and repeatedly, 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 repeatedly to the point where there are thousands, if not tens of thousands of these things out there in dark space just floating around on their way to kill everybody. Every, around like, what, 50,000 years? That's scary. That's terrifying. We don't we're told openly that we don't understand the machinations of these things. Um, at, there's points where you as Shepard are allowed to talk directly with the Reapers, which in itself is a scary concept, and I'll go into why exactly that's a scary concept, but you're allowed to talk to them. 
And when you ask them questions, they talk to you as if you are like a baby, you know, like uh, angry, an, an angry parent talking to a child. They are upset with you for not being able to understand the depth, the depth of their ideology and their thoughts and their ways of being. And there's a sort of a subversive aspect to this where it, uh, the cosmic horror of this kind of loops in on itself, right? So we have aspects of it as a whole, like basically the, the concept of it being like, yeah, okay, you can't understand us. How could you understand the machinations of a god? You're simply a mortal, a human. I'm eons more or ancient than you are and eons more intelligent than you are. I've seen everything. I know everything and I will always know everything, right? So that's obvious. Of course, you know, that's scary as a concept. But before I start losing my train of thought there, uh, there's an aspect to that that sort of loops back in on itself in Mass Effect that's a little bit subversive of the idea of cosmic horror that brings out something that's more akin to what I would think when I think about like Zeus and Greek and, and Roman mythos, um, where these gods become almost human in their uh, wants and, and desires and actions. And that's the same kind of thing that we see with the Reapers, where the Reapers, uh, eventually, in the third game, you're given the opportunity to sort of, like, make some choices, let's say. And uh, the Reapers seem to vehemently not want to die. <laughs> they sort of, like, uh, try to convince you on the basis that you'd be killing other sentient machines and innocent sentient machines, essentially, uh, that you yourself may die in the process of destruction, the destruction of all, uh, synthetic life. Um, and it's interesting to see how these, uh, gods essentially begin to logic, like logically argue with you on a basis that you would understand when the rest of the series sort of paints them as the 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 deus ex machina you know a god of machines that you can't really understand or be able to process um essentially as these beings that you can't wrap your mind around i think that aspect of it is pretty cool because that's not something you really see done with cosmic or lovecraftian horror um and given that mass effect really isn't like a horror game i think it does a lot to sort of reinforce um some of the uh, ideas and motifs of the series which i might you know touch on maybe in this episode or maybe a later episode but i kind of want to stick to this idea of um mythos right so we're going to continue with this idea of mythos and cosmic horror because mass effect is full of cosmic horror and i think that uh by the end of the episode you'll kind of get what i'm saying when i say that there's a lot of links between like modern science fiction and um you know mythos and and uh, the ideas uh, that are present in stuff like medieval fantasy and things like that um so another aspect that i think is really cool about the reapers and again uh, calling back to earlier if you remember i said speaking with the reapers was in itself very dangerous now i know what you're thinking well yeah because they're these giant like 
squid god machine things, right? Of course, that'd be dangerous. They'd shoot you in the head or something, right? Well, yeah, but also, um, they can just manipulate you with uh, microwaves. I, it's not exactly a science, <laughs> so you know, players don't like fully understand how it's done. Actually, in fact, I'm leaving this in. You, you're gonna be able to hear me clickety clackety. Um, I'm gonna look it up. Mass effect indoctrination not theory that's something different indoctrination let's see so i'm going to read to you the the wiki which is uh can i give you the information from the in-game there's like an in-game um database that you can you can go over um and this is uh, straight from that i believe so indoctrination is the term used for brainwa the brainwashing effect reapers and their technology have on organic beings. A signal or energy field surrounds the reaper which subtly influences the minds of any organic individual in range. It was first reported to Commander Shepard by the farmers on Eden Prime who claimed that there was a horrible noise emanating from Sovereign, which is that big giant squid thing that I told you that pierced the sky as it descended. Um, so uh, Eden Prime is the colony that I was talking about earlier that gets attacked. And uh, that's something that really adds to the horror of this situation is the uh, when you first talk to some of the farmers there, they tell you about this horrible noise that was emanating from the reapers. And that horrible noise is that weird um, field or those weird energies that can subtly and slowly or rapidly but more often than not, subtly and slowly manipulate and, and cause uh, strange thoughts and actions to come through in an organic being. And um, I think the wiki does a really good job of explaining some of the characteristics of being indoctrinated. So uh, we're, gonna t we're, we're just going to read straight from the wiki and then we're going to talk about it a little bit because the way I'm going to explain it is going to be weird and Wiki with the, the Mass Effect wiki, uh, shout out to wiki fandom, is probably going to be able to explain this a lot better than I can. So let's, let's just read straight from the wiki. Um, the precise mechanics of the indoctrination effect are poorly understood. See, this is why my explanation will be really bad. It is believed that the Reapers generate an electromagnetic field, waves of infrasound and ultrasound, or both in order to stimulate areas of a victim's brain and limbic system. The resulting effects vary depending on the intent of the Reaper, and the victim may suffer headaches and hallucinations, have feelings of being watched or paranoia, or come to view the Reaper itself with superstitious awe. Ultimately, the Reaper gains the ability to use the victim's body to amplify its signal, manifesting as voices within the victim's mind. The giant squid god things can just brainwash you and then take over your mind to make you brainwash other people and that's scary <laughs> isn't that scary okay and what's worse about that and i'm sorry my mic is so sensitive i'm pretty sure you guys are picking up like little bubbles in my mouth which is kind of scaring me i'm sorry but um <laughs> what's worse about that is the people that they usually do this with are like the main antagonist in the first game 
Saren. They're sleeper agents that are working for or like in really powerful places in the government or in the legal system. Um, it's they're working by breaking down the structures that be before they do their full invasion to prevent the ability of the people like that are alive at that time to come together to create a resistance that may eventually lead to the downfall of the cycle <laughs> and so they've got this thing down to a science essentially and the idea that like we can sort of conceptualize why they're doing it but we don't know why they're doing it or how they're doing it is peak cosmic horror because okay <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm gonna like start rambling so hear me out so a big part of Lovecraft and like the stereotypical uh, Lovecraftian horror and uh, cosmic horror is the idea that you can kind of like through enough research understand these things that's why you have things like the Necronomicon made by uh, and, and don't get me wrong this is pretty racist by uh, the uh, Al <laughs> Alhazred right uh, the, the quote-unquote mad Arab who learned all this stuff and then started writing spells and things like that and incantations and, and all that. That's essentially the codex. <laughs> That's essentially Shepard. Um, you know, you learn these things, but you don't really learn the ideas behind them. You get me? You can learn the fact, but you don't understand the system behind it. You can learn the result. You know the result, but you don't exactly know why. You just know this plus X equals this. So you understand one of the, you know, the, the aspects of it, one of the factors, but you, you don't understand the whole. Cosmic horror and Lovecraftian horror at work here, guys. This is what I'm talking about when I mean, like, there's a lot of aspects of, uh, you know, fantasy that you can also see in sci-fi. And... Don't think that it's just isolated to, uh, to Mass Effect. Sorry, I hit my mic there. Uh, don't think that it's just isolated to Mass Effect because it is not. <laughs> you also see this in Star Wars. And I know that might be like, what do you mean Star Wars? Well, there's Abolish. Uh, she comes to mind. And really the whole idea of the father and the son and the daughter come to mind. Where these uh, sort of primordial beings of the Force exist and i know that's like well yeah but isn't that sort of like the catholic and christian mythos you know brandon i you're like brandon come on last episode you were just talking about how much you love catholic drama and i'm like yeah i do thank you for being an avid listener but also also <laughs> no i paused for so long there but also um doesn't this kind of sound weird for a series like Mass Effect where concepts of religion are sort of uh, ambiguous and uh, wide and sort of like a very like big net? Uh, isn't that kind of weird that there's literally three, like a, a, a trinity? <laughs> isn't that weird? Isn't that kind of strange? Isn't it weird that Yoda can go to like some far off planet and learn how to talk to dead people? Isn't that weird? Isn't that a little strange? It is. It is strange, because it doesn't make sense with the idea of the Force not being a living thing. And even if it is a living thing, then you have stuff 
you know, let's let's subvert some expectations here. I know how much Star Wars fans hates doing that, but let's subvert some expectations here, man. We have stuff like Kotor, you know, Knights of the Old Republic 2, where the idea, the literal idea of one of the main characters of the game is the is is we gotta kill the Force, guys, <laughs> because the Force is forcing us no pun intended, to just do this routine cyclical killing of one another based on arbitrary ideas of good and evil. Isn't that, isn't that some heavy stuff for Star Wars, man? Isn't it? Isn't that some heavy stuff for Star Wars? But you know what? That's essentially a deconstructive narrative on the ideas that were presented originally in Western mythos. Uh, it, well, okay, not necessarily originally because the ideas of good and evil don't necessarily completely exclusively exist in western mythos but the ideas that i'm talking about here are specifically um fantasy based i guess you know like the the ideas of like king arthur and stuff like that it's it's a it's a deconstruction of those ideas where there's like a clear good and a clear evil or whether a good guy always seems to be doing something productive kind of you know what i mean always seems to be learning lessons and such there always seems to be like a bad guy to fight. That's that's uh that that's weird. Why? Why does there need to be a bad guy? And they know why there needs to be a bad guy because the force sucks and just like seeing people fight. So they're like, let's just kill the force. Let's kill God. And so there's let's kill the tree of knowledge. Let's you know what I mean? You get what you get what I'm saying here. But also, there's way more obvious stuff in Star Wars. You have the Knights of, of the Jedi Order, and they're essentially uh, wizard samurai, but are also literal knights. You know, they represent sort of like the round table with the Jedi Council. Um, these are things that are pulled directly from, you know, uh, the, the 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 round table mythos you know the the gowan and and merlin and and all that um and uh, king arthur camelot these these are things that are pulled from there and they're present in star wars and uh, there's also things that are pulled from Eastern philosophies, like uh, other concepts of the Force. And I say other concepts of the Force because if you're a big Star Wars fan, you know that pre-Disney, and even now that Disney owns it, they've sort of in, in incorporated these ideas more. Um, but the, there was there's many interpretations of how the Force exists and what the Force is. Is it a sentient thing? Does it, does it have thoughts and feelings? And if it does, are these things that... Would, that we can fully understand or is this sort of like a faith-based thing kind of like how the traditional idea of like um the the abrahamic god is or is it sort of like an ethereal thing is it something that's all consuming or there's there's a debate on the intention of it is it sort of like a fact or is it a, a being you get what i'm saying which again sort of itself is uh internally referential to modern day if not uh um post uh enlightenment ideas of of 
uh, religion and the relationship between the individual and God and the relationship between the individual and religion and uh, the ideas of what truly is knowledge and sort of uh, the reverence for scientific ideology and things like that, which in itself is its own can of worms. But again, we can wind this all back to motifs that we see throughout Renaissance art, um, you know, um, God touching the mind and uh, the mind being the house of God, these ideas that are sort of, count again, counters to what? To medieval thought that was like uh, purely faith-based. Um, but without extrapolating any more than I already have, because I'm pretty sure I may have lost some of you, um, a big aspect of Star Wars and its relationship to mythos. And yes, yes, I am going to bring it up, is cowboys. <laughs> yeah, cow cowboys. Han Solo. Cowboy. Boba Fett. Now he's a cowboy. I don't know if you've been seeing the, the series, but he's a cowboy. Uh, and more than anything, Pedro Pascal's The Mandalorian is a cowboy. Yeah. <laughs> well, I hate to break it to you, but we're about to hit 30 minutes on this voice recording. I haven't edited everything together yet, and I do that in post, but I kind of wanted to keep this episode at around 30 minutes, so I'm going to cut there. But before I do, I will say that if the next episode doesn't come out by the end of this week, it should be coming out next week. Again, I'm going to try to keep that once a week schedule and maybe occasionally push out an extra episode, but we'll see how that goes. Um, anyways, I hope you guys are ex excited for this next episode as I am. This is my first time ever doing like a, a cliffhanger, so I hope it's exciting for you guys. Next episode, we're going to be talking about cowboys, space, and the Western mythos. It's going to be a lot of studying for me to do and lot of stuff for me to talk about because there's already ideas that I have going through my head that I really want to go over but I need to save this recording because it's already 1:40 in the morning and I need to go to bed <laughs> but seriously guys thanks for listening and I hope wholeheartedly that you found that pretty neat I'll see you guys next week <laughs>